Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Jen White Johnson. You may know her because she's the artist who's behind the Black Disabled Lives Matter symbol, uh, the fist with the infinity symbol up there. Um, she's got a son, Knox, who is neurodiverse, and she herself ha- has survived Graves' disease. So we're going to talk about all of that, especially in the context of what's going on in the world right now since the murder of George Floyd. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's such an honor to be giving you another platform to share this story because it's amazing that, I mean, what you're able to share on social media, and I'm excited to hear more directly from you. And I'd love us to start from the very beginning um, and talk about Knox and find out when and how you first realized that he might be presenting as neurodiverse and what steps you've taken to empower him in his ongoing health. Um. So he was born uh, premature. Hmm. Um, So he was two pounds, 15 ounces. So he was already, you know, very small and very, you know, delicate and fragile. Um, And so we were really just focusing on, you know, like my husband and I on our first chapter of just parenting and making sure that he's okay and he's thriving. Um, And at around two, um, he was in daycare and, you know, his assistants were, were noticing that, you know, certain traits and signs that they normally associate with, you know, a, a kid who's autistic. And, um, and of course, like that, it was very new to us in terms of, you know, what to even look for, or if we, we should even be concerned. Um, because, you know, cognitive, cognitively and developmentally, you know, he had his own strides, and he was basically, you know, just forming as, you know, just on his own, like in mm. on his own terms. Um, And so some of the things that they noticed was, you know, he was very, you know, to himself and um, he enjoyed playing on his own. Um, And we were thinking, yeah, like, okay, like you just kind of like to do things, you know, on your own. Um, And and it's always interesting to see, like, what are some of the traits that they consider Mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, not normal or not typical Um, because, you know, as we get into it, like, well, like, I'll tell you that he's completely like cool. And he's like Mm. doing his thing, you know, a normal seven year old. um, And, you know, doing a lot of the things that your neurotypical individuals and, and kids would normally do at that age. Um, But of course, you know, oh, like the, the scary signs is that they're not like, you know, focusing and, and there's not a lot of like, you know, um, physical connections, you know, lacking empathy. And of course, you know, not, not a lot of eye contact. Um, and so, and then, you know, he just wasn't very social. Um, we thought he was, but, uh, obviously, you know, as I've continued to, to kind of get familiar with autistic advocacy and realizing that these traits, um, can sometimes be viewed as detrimental, not, not for us as a family, Mm. but, for folks, it's like they often call, call it like the risk factors, you know, in, in, in getting your, your, your child diagnosed. Um, and of course, you know, we were, um, you know, concerned and we were worried thinking that, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know, like he's going to be, 
you know, plagued um, for the rest of his life because because that's kind of like how they shape it and how they form for parents to view like, you know, yeah. neurodivergent kids, you know? Um, so naturally, like our first reaction was, oh my goodness, like, should we get him tested? Sh- should we get him speech therapy? Should we, you know, have him assimilate and like adapt to like societal norms? And so naturally, like, that's like how we felt that we needed to like, get him, you know, fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting you use that word fixed too, because mm-hmm. so much of the language around autism and the spectrum of autism is really detrimental to these kids too, isn't it? I mean, it's very interesting to me. It is. And so, and that, that's the point. And that's, um, you know, what I consider very like ableist language, language that, that is basically like very abusive. And, um, and even if, you know, my son was nonverbal, then, you know, he had other ways of being able to, to communicate, um, and he was like full of emotion and full of joy and full of happiness um, and full of empathy, but he just had his own a way of, of, you know, showing that about himself. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we did want for him to be able to get, you know, services and we did want for him to be able to, to feel like, Hey, like I can be a, a, a three-year-old that can have friends and that who can, you know, play and, and enjoy like normal, you know, three-year-old activities. And yeah. when I say normal, I just mean like what society places like as normal because he had his yeah. own ways of having fun, whether it was yeah. stacking his toys in a full, beautiful spectrum mm-hmm. and stacking his shoes and his blocks by, by color. Like we thought that that was like, it's a million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We weren't yeah. necessarily like, oh my goodness, like you need to shift and change the way that you play because this is just not, this isn't normal. Like mm. this is what, what other kids do. We really appreciated, you know, watching him just grow and develop. Yeah, absolutely. And as we're going to get into in this discussion, so much of what society teaches us to do so much of how we learn to behave in society is actually very broken. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the concept of autism in the midst of what we're going through right now, historically is also kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Because this is something that, you know, using words like normal, using words like typical, um, you know, the concept of fixing your kid when your kid is perfectly healthy and just doing his thing. And he's very individual like everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had a lot of lessons to, to learn and, um, so, you know, obviously, especially like within the black community, um, we're automatically expected that, okay, well, this isn't necessarily quote unquote, a label that we want for our child. Um, sometimes in the black community, there's this, this essence of not my child and I'm, and I don't want for my child to be viewed in in a different way. I want for them to, to be able to, to adapt and to assimilate um, because there are certain expectations. Like you just want, you already know what, what your kid is up against. So you don't want for there to be any more um, challenges or, or problems that are going to get them, um, you know, put into this box. Um, keep them behind really when they want to flourish. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I spent maybe about a few months or so, um, you know, getting him in, into appropriate services and, 
getting him a part of a really cool community where he could be with other kids who were autistic and who were who were autistic on the full spectrum, whether they were speaking or non-speaking, whether they were, you know, older or younger. Um, and then also being around supportive adults who could help create this really beautiful environment where he could just be himself. Um, so he was at this really beautiful center for about two and a half, three years. And he continued to, to feel, you know, comfortable communicating in a variety of ways. Um, and it really helped to kind of prep him so that when he transition transitioned into a public school atmosphere, you know, he felt like, okay, like I could do this, like, and I'm, I'm ready, um, to be able to just kind of hang out and sit in a classroom and just, you know, uh, learn to be himself to be himself to learn. And he came with so many really beautiful, like attributes in terms of like his learning style. Um, and, you know, uh, it was really important for us to meet with all of his teachers beforehand to kind of say, Hey, like this is our kid. He's autistic, but we don't necessarily view that as an illness and we don't exactly. And neither should, should you as his teacher. And we made like a cool um, little uh, booklet, like a little zine. I was going to ask about the zine. This is perfect. Perfect timing. Please tell us about the zine you created. Well, (laughs) well, there, there, there's two. I mean, the, the first one, this is also something that you got very well known in the autism community yeah. as well. And I mean, what a gift as well that you're an artist and you have a son who's expressing himself in varied ways creatively and you're able to support that with him as well. So, so basically with the zine, um, again, it was, it was sort of kind of like our, our love letter. Like my husband is, is a writer and I'm, you know, a designer and a, and a photographer. And also I write a little bit and I'm getting better trying to experiment more and be more comfortable with, with how I write about activism, how I write about like, you know, disability. Um, and so it was, you know, we had been seeing so many complaints and, and negativity, especially from parents online. And I felt like I really didn't have a resource at that time um, where I saw uh advocates and parents like amplifying their autistic kids and it was really concerning Mm. to me and I was like yeah I don't see enough joy I don't see enough yes not and and I'm not necessarily talking about like I just want to see all the the sugar-coated superficial happiness I wasn't really talking about that I was really talking about this is our kid and and we love him just as, as he is and this is something really cool and exciting that we learned from him today you know Mm-hmm. Um, I just really didn't see a lot of that. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that there was a lot of it out there, but because obviously if I'm entering into this journey for the first time and if I'm looking for resources, I'm going to be like, okay, so who's, who's talking about it? Like who's, yeah. who's, who, you know, where, where, wh- what are some groups? What, who, who are well, you're also, you're already so busy just raising a little kid, you know, to have to be going down the rabbit hole of resources as well, unless someone can hand you the right resource. That's really challenging. Exactly. And so naturally, the, the resources that are first handed to you is, you know, uh, autism speaks like a 100 day kit, like this yeah. is what you need to do to like, you and know. they've got their own controversial approach, which I think a lot of families who have autism um, in the family, you know, like, there's those resources can be questionable. Of course. Yeah. And so I knew early on that I wasn't, you know, if, if these materials weren't written by, you know, um, 
black indigenous people of color who are autistic, who are from that community, then I'm like, well, it doesn't really represent like my autism experience for my family. Um, So I I learned about the color of autism and I learned about a lot of other um, spaces of, of, of black voices that were already, you know, really helping to amplify like the autistic community specifically in terms of, Hey, like, this is who we are. These are the resources that, that we can provide. Um, and, and these are the topics that, that we talk about. Um, because I was very careful about, you know, yeah, there's like a million support groups out there, but I'm like, I'm not necessarily here to be like, oh, my kid did this and my kid did that. And he, and like, we, we just cried all day for five hours. And nice. I'm like, that's, it's important for those parents to feel like they have like the outlet, but mm. what is that doing to help? like your autistic kid, like right. where's the bond in that? And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that every single moment was always happy and that, and that it was easy because I'm a first time mother. So naturally it's going to be challenging. Um, but I really wanted to like use design and to use like this new chapter in my artistic expression mm-hmm. to like create something that I thought could help amplify not just my son, but could help amplify like the movement. Yeah. Um, to help and be representative that. of your experience, as you say. Exactly. And, um, and then, you know, I, and then I'm also specifically talking about like representation, like this is what a black neurodivergent family looks like when they focus on joy and when they focus on acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really important that that was like clear and true in terms of what was presented in the zine. Um, so I was able to connect with these really amazing publishers, Homie House Press, that they publish and write a lot of just, you know, underrepresented voices, you know, queer folks, trans mm-hmm. folks, um, you know, uh, making sure that those communities are just really heard and given the representation um, that they deserve and being able to collaborate with folks that are like underground, like skeleton bones crew, like that everything is going to be completely dirty. And, you know, it's not glitzy. Like, it's like when I say photozine, it's like no sponsors, no nothing. It's like just you like underground, like investing like your time and, and, and blood into making sure that the narrative yeah. is like. And it's a, it's a love, it's a project that comes straight from the heart when it's built like that. Exactly. Plus the way that it's um, distributed it's like on our own terms. Like we could take it to like book fairs. We could take it to like, you know, community gatherings and it can be a part of like lending libraries. And that's where it is. It's like, you know, archived in the special collections at the Met. Um, it's amazing. And archived at, you know, my, um, at the Maryland Institute College of Art where mm-hmm. I went to grad school and in their, their lending library. And, and um, a lot of educators have said, hey, like, can I bring this to like my, can, can we use it as a resource as we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, like black narrative, like, you know, in my photojournalism class. And so it's been really beautiful to see it used as a tool to help educate and amplify. Like that was beyond what I even expected. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, like this is why this needed to be made. Um, it's so beautiful. Well, and that's also something that you were saying, like you were able to put that together and hand it to Knox's teachers as well and be like, this is who we are. Yeah. And then it ended up you know, becoming like smaller little zines um, mm-hmm. that can kind of grow with him. Um, this one, the, the, the Knox rocks zine was basically 
um, imagery and thoughts from when he was first diagnosed at, you know, at two to five years old, how mm-hmm. he continued to just evolve and become like his amazing autistic self. Um, and then this was like, this is a smaller zine. Hi, my name is Kevin, mm-hmm. um, which was like, uh, a collection of this is me now that I'm about to enter into first grade. And when you open it up, um, it has, so cute. A, it has a list of like all of his teacher's names, oh, wow. um, all of the things that he had done over the summertime, things that he loves, um, wow. things that can help to explain a little bit about him. This is, uh, mm. it, it contains a photo of him when he was born. Wow. Um, and then, you know, him at six years old, and then um, when you open it up, there's like a whole letter on. on oh, so it unfolds, which is amazing. Oh, wow. And there's a letter. So what, what Jen's showing me um, is basically the zine, it opens up and shows these, uh, you know, the pictures and, and things that he did over the summer, as you mentioned. And then when you fully open it up, when you unfold it, there's a letter on the back. And who's that letter for? So this letter is to anyone that he's going to be coming in contact with, whether it's his special educator, his speech pathologist, his um, occupational therapist, his assistant principal, the counselor, the uh, vice principal, like we gave it to everyone on staff at the school um, as a way to say, look, like we're extremely happy for this upcoming school year. And we want to take this opportunity to say that we appreciate everything that you're doing as educators. These are the things that you need to know about our kid. Like this is why our kid rocks and why this first grade year experience shouldn't necessarily be about changing him or making Mm -hmm. him high to the rules or um, yes, like he's in school to be able to like enjoy the learning experience, but he has his own learning style. Um, And uh, it talks a little bit about his, his history about when he was diagnosed, you know, where he learned to make like what his first friendship experiences were when he was getting his, his early services. Um, and it talks a little bit about like the things that are, are offensive. Like, you know, we don't view autism as like an illness that, that needs to be cured. Um, it's like, it's, it's a really beautiful, like brain difference. And it's a condition. It's not a, it's not a, I mean, this is the other thing is that like, you're here sitting, talking to me about on a podcast about invisible illness. But what I love about this conversation is that as you're saying, this isn't, it's not an illness. This is a condition, but it's one that you can't see from the outside. You can't see by looking at him that he may need special forms of communication and he may express himself differently. And it's, and it's, it's, it's a full spectrum, you know, Mm. like there's no, there's not just one specific aspect of, of an autistic person. Like they're all unique and that's Mm. like a really amazing thing about it. Um, And I have students cause I'm also a professor. Mm. um, So I've had an influx of autistic students um, within the past year or so. And, you know, they have a lot of really interesting traits, like they're, you know, impulsive and they're so excited about everything and they want to be able to, um, to accomplish so much. Hmm. Um, and then there's also the aspect of like anxiety. Well, you know, like, but if I'm not good enough to do this, then what do I do to get there? And, and if I'm starting a new class, is this teacher going to like me? Hmm. Am I going to like them? Am I going to be able to do well in, in my class? Are they going to be able to like fulfill the accommodations that I need? Um, and then I have one student that's like always super ready to like get out there. And then I have another student that's like a little bit, you know, more like, more hesitant in terms of yeah like no like I'm not sure if, if I want to make that decision so th- yeah I mean there's different personalities in terms of like yeah. 
things that they want to be able, like adventures that they want to be able to take. And obviously like they have to be comfortable and I'm just there to, to be an advocate mm. to like make sure that, that I'm, that I'm there to kind of make sure that they have, you know, what they need and to, to be their, their cheerleader in terms of you can do it. Cause I'm, cause I'm specifically talking about, you know, artists. Yes. You know? Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting too, cause you use this word cheerleader. And I, I think one of the things that comes up in a lot of these discussions is when you have a disability or, or some kind of condition that needs to be sort of flagged with a professor in college, it's always in college is when people, you know, end up getting burned out or get sick if they're going to get sick. And, um, you know, a lot of students struggle to express to their professors, like, hey, I need this accommodation or that accommodation, or I may communicate in this way or that way. And the fact that you're already an advocate and, you know, understanding and working to further expand your, almost your vocabulary and understanding of conditions like autism means that these kids already have a leg up when they come to you. And no wonder you're getting more autistic students because they know that you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. it's wonderful. How has that advocacy work, do you think, also impacted your relationship with Knox? I mean, is that something that it's sort of grown with him and grown with his your relationship yes. with him? Yeah, because when the minute that I meet them, I tell them, I'm like, look, like I come from a neurodivergent family myself. Like I have undiagnosed ADHD and mm. I have you know, an autistic son and instantly they're like, Oh my goodness. Like, so, so you, you understand like my world, you, you understand where I'm coming from. You understand the accommodations that I need because I'm always just there to listen, you know? Yes. I'm not living in their house and I'm not, you know, um, like, and I have autistic students that are, you know, black, white, you know, uh, you know, Latino from, from all different, like, you know, nationalities and back cultural backgrounds and cultural identities. Um, so, uh, it's always really cool to be able to kind of like get a sense of, oh, okay. So like, how was it growing up and your family? How, like, and I'm able to, to get a sense of, Ooh, like, did they grow up in a supportive environment that like amplified them, their identity, or did they grow up in a, in an, in an environment where they weren't necessarily encouraged to even say, Hey, like I'm autistic. Did they spend the majority of their lives masking? And I've seen the different elements of when it's a white student versus a black student, like how the conversation shifts and change, how the grades are different, how the opportunities are different that are presented to them. Mm. Um, and what kind of accommodations are, are, are being made, you know, that, so I've seen like racial biases in, in terms of if they're on the spectrum, like what color they are. Like I've seen that firsthand of how the experiences can, can be different. Um, And also it's not always easy as a black autistic student to necessarily say, Oh, I am an autistic person mm-hmm. because there's the stigma that that's associated with that there's there's the the stigma of oh man like my professor's not going to take me seriously they're not going to want to work as closely with me um you know they're not going to provide these types of accommodations and m- most of my students they're all very vocal like they don't just sit and just kind of like wait like they're very vocal. Like they'll be emailing people at the drop of a hat saying, I need this. I need that. This is my, my, my situation, but they're not always necessarily ready to say, Oh, I'm autistic. These are the accommodations Mm -hmm. that I need because they've been so used to 
masking and expecting sometimes for the professor to be welcoming to say, Hey, like, Hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, I got, cause usually like with most schools, how they work, if there's like a, a, a disability support services office, it's the, the job of the university and like that support system to send accommodation letters out to faculty. But the student needs to be able to have like a diagnosis, uh, you know, of whatever neurodivergent, um, you know, disorder or condition or difference that they have. So, but if, if the student and if the family hasn't connected with those offices um, Mm -hmm. to let, you know, that particular office know, then there's really no way of professors to feel like they even owe the student any type of accommodation at all. Um, And is that something you're also seeing like a, a disparate experiences again between like the white students and the students of color as well? Yeah. 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 So it's something it sounds like where, you know, there's more fear of retribution if you're a student of color or a person of color who's living with a condition like autism because there's additional stigma piled on top of you. And it's not just about the way that you present as a person of color, be that, as you say, Latino or, you know, black, but that you're also adding on top of that, like there might be something neurodivergent here. There could be something extra that I need and this fear that, you'll be perceived very differently and treated very differently. Oh yeah. 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 And this is something that I've heard first on because, you know, because I have them all together in, in, in my group of classes and it's usually like, you know, the black, like these strapping young black men who either have ADHD or who are autistic that are, that are like, I've been bullied. I was bullied in, in high school, you know, and they have like these amazing, gifts whether they're into like hip-hop and they're into like voice acting and or whether they illustrate they're like really amazing and I'm like yo like you don't have anything to worry about in terms of like your your craft as long as you have the right people in in your circle there's this 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 and this and this resource but they need like that additional support from their home environment and then from the community that they're around to say yes like you can do this you can push this Mm. Um, so it really just depends on you know, again, like their environment. And so my job is really to help foster that community, um, to let them know that they have a community. And even if they don't necessarily have it at the university that they attend, here are a million different opportunities and um, communities that, that you can be a part of if you, if you want it. Like, you know, if, you're really if, empowering them with information and, and yeah. empowering them to speak up when they need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about with, with Knox as well? I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you have the secondary zine that you were talking about and we were discussing with the letter on the back. So is that something that he also like carries around with him that he can hand out to people and it gives yeah, him I mean, up and communicating? Yeah. That that's the goal. I mean, we it was it was an experiment because we were like, okay, well, let's just try it out with like you know your first year experience, like you your first grade experience. Let's see how. And we were literally like just like in his first grade class, you know, the day before school started in, in first grade um, last September, and we were like all right, so here's this letter. And we had him read everything like in the zine and we had copies for everybody. We not, we didn't give copies out to the classmates because, um, but, but what the teacher did was she had a special chat about autism and, and, and behavioral differences um, and just 
brain differences and Mm -hmm. basically understanding that, you know, we have this cool kid in the class, you Mm -hmm. know, who, who has like a really cool, like different identity um, that he lives by, but he's also like a friend and he's and, and he's happy and he loves my little pony and he loves, you know, Sesame street and he loves like everything that, that you love. Um, and I was even, and I was concerned. I mean, there was like one class session where they had like bring a book to class and they had to research it and they had to, to, um, you know, talk about like the, the beginning, middle and end. And they had to like dress up like a character in the book and, and at that sounds time, really fun. Like, I'd love to do that project. <laughs> yeah. He was hardcore, like he was a brony all the way, like a My Little Pony. That's like, amazing. Yeah, and we were like, yes, like mm-hmm. this is so cool. Like I was like in love with it, and we had he had his like Rainbow Dash little jacket with like a little frilly unicorn top. Amazing. Those, and and but and I contacted his teacher, and I was like, just so you know, he's gonna come to class with this My Little Pony jacket, and in case there are any snickers and laughs in the classroom, we're not going to stand for it. So I was just letting you know now that I will be in class that day when he gives yeah. this presentation. And I was sitting in the back of the class um, and I was like documenting it, you know, like safely, like only focusing like on him so that I could have that, that memory. And he got up and presented the book and everything. And, and she was like, don't worry, like he's safe. Like this is mm-hmm. a safe space. Um, and that was really important because Right. Like how many of those safe spaces are in, in, in schools Mm. that are going to continue to be in schools? Well, not just on like, you know, the elementary school level, but middle school, high school, like on a university setting, like. Well, and as services become less and less available to public services that can support him. Yeah. 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 And so, right. And so it's like, and that's why it's so important to to start assembling with you know just like a really supportive community and we just need to continue to see more and that's you know something that the autistic community is like really thriving at in terms of like the advocates the activists that are out there um making sure that community is is there and mm. you know like autistic twitter like they're just amazing at what Mm. they do and how they rally for each other and how they support each other and how they you know they they call each other out and Mm. they're 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 able to to be honest with each other and really raw and to share resources um to to just have that to grow into as well exactly and that's what i remind them i'm like i'm looking to you to y'all like you guys are the ambassadors. Like you guys represent the moment, the now, um, like how far the autistic community has come in terms of being comfortable with self-advocacy and encouraging people not to mask, encouraging people to like accept every unique aspect about them, whether it's like stimming and safe stims and, you know, moving in, in, in a variety of really cool ways, communicating in a variety of cool ways, um, whether it's through art, whether it's through like writing, blogging. Um, and so it's been really beautiful um, familiarizing myself and really leaning onto that community. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, I'm like, you guys need to continue to kind of like be there for each other because that's what my son <laughs> is going to be a part of. Like if, you, if, if, every, if every one of you is rallying for him and for, you know, people like him, then 
then it you needs can't to lose. Space. Yeah. Yeah. What about in, in terms of your relationship with your son too, do you think that all of this work that you're doing supporting him has deepened your relationship with him and given you guys an opportunity to be even closer than you would have been maybe if he'd been a neurotypical kid and he didn't need the same kind of support? Um, I think that, that we would have been close regardless if he was autistic or, or, or not, um, because we're just a very tight knit group of family. I mean, we're black, so we're going to be full of, we're going to, it's, it's going to be nothing but honesty and rawness and, and full of joy and, um, so make, making sure that he's going to, to be alive because, you know, being black means that your every day is like a fight for your survival because, you just and and I'm not speaking out of my butt like this is just no, like true. Clear, clear fact. So yeah. um, whether he was disabled or not, we would have been tight, definitely, um, because he, you know, has this really unique identity. Um, yes, like the bond will continue to grow because we're just trying to make sure that that he's good and that that he feels like I'm I'm fine, like I'm good. Mm. You know? What does it mean right now as well to be the mother of a black child who, you know, in terms of explaining what's going on right now, like tell, have you had the talk with him yet? Which is not for those tuning in. It's not the birds and the bees talk. This is the talk about what to do when the cops show up um, that black families have to have every day. Um, have yes. you had that talk with him? Yeah. And, um, usually the talk happens when we're actually like in the middle of the act of, of doing something that presents the situation. So like, you know, if we're like when we were at a family reunion last year in Salisbury, Maryland, and you know, where the community is sometimes diverse, sometimes divided basically on, on where you go, or if you Mm -hmm. do go to like a certain space, you know, and, um, you know, you'll see specific communities that are just divided. So mm. you'll see like these families are over in this corner and that th- those families are over in that corner. Um, and so, but with Knox, if he sees kids that are full of energy and full of life, he wants to be around that mm. vibrancy and that energy. Um, and he's not necessarily like aware of the environment at times. Right. Um, because he just wants to be able to just say, Hey, like, I want to connect. I want to be able to be friends. Um, because I want to show everybody like that I'm super cool and amazing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and because he is such a people person and he is very approachable, which, which again is like, people are like, what, but he's autistic. He's not supposed to be like, you know, approachable and he's not supposed to, to be friendly and all these things. That's a preconceived idea, isn't it? This is like these stigmas and ideas that people have about autism that just aren't true. Right. And so, um, but what hurts is seeing other people who will, and, and, and when I say people, I mean like just young kids that are, you know, like middle school aged, elementary school aged that are just like, who is this, this, this kid Hmm. running up to us so full of excitement acting like he knows us they're not even really ready for like the level of like excitement and exuberancy that he brings and that's what hurts the most because they're not like hey you want to join us like they're just like get away from me I do not know you stop in in your tracks and those are the times where I have to kind of talk to him and I have to remember 
oh, the first thing that they're seeing is like this black kid that's just like running up to, and he's small now, right? Hmm. But, but what I mean, happens when he's an adult? Yeah. Right. What or a teenager. When, yeah. And when he's going to, you know, approach some kids that are playing in a park and it may be like a group of like mixed race kids that are like just chilling and doing their thing. And he's going to want to be like, y'all, like, can I get game? Like, what's up? And then, mm. or, or however he chooses to express it. And they may not necessarily even be um, ready to like embrace him. So mm. in this particular situation, like the kids were playing kickball and I just had to kind of help set the tone. I was like, look, like we're not some random crazy black family or whatever, whatever, whatever stereotypical thing you think about us. Right. We're just outside, just like you are playing, enjoying life and enjoying the summer. We're here, you know, at a family reunion. This is my son. He's seven. Um, and he wants to play kickball with you guys. Like, is that cool? So I had to kind of help set the tone for those kids to say, hey, like, mm. this is an open space where everyone's welcome. You should expect that there are going to be all different types of people Yes. All different walks of life within this space that we share that is not owned by you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the least that you can do is like welcome a kid, um, a black kid who just wants to play as simple as that. And so when, so when I helped to set the tone, they're like, cool, like he, he can play with us. And I was like, thank you. I really appreciate it. Can you like, Mm -hmm. I was like, can you guys like explain and break down like the, the concepts of the game and stuff? Cause he just wants to be, he just wants to be a part of a team, Mm y'all. And so um, he played with them for a little while and, and um, you know, and I'm glad that there was like an older kid that was there, probably like 11 or 12, who was like really responsive and who mm. was like open to being, like he was just really receptive. Mm. And I was like, yes, like this is what, and it was, it was a group of white kids. And so I was just really happy that they were just like, sure. Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and that's but that's also just a small example of where like you know you're stepping in and advocating for him but it's got to come with a lot of fear in a lot of public situations too right given what we know about what's happening to to black boys and black bodies right now too yeah 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 it definitely comes with with fear um because you know Knox um like I said he's he's very giving mm. and he's like he like he's a very embracing person like mm. there is no malice in terms of like mm. like he's not he's just rarely, a joyful loving exactly. happy kid yeah yeah like rarely do you now that he's you know seven and he's he's defiant and in, in, in his funny little ways mm. um and you know being like no I don't want to do this and we're like okay like <laughs> All right, we'll pivot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time I'm like, yes, like tell me you don't want to do it. Like Right. Yeah. Because it's cool to just see him like express that. Um mm. uh and so you know, yeah, it's definitely something that that we think about all the time. And especially like as as artists, you know, we love to be outside and we love to be in museums and we love and I'm all and I always have like my camera with me documenting different experiences, especially documenting him in different spaces. And, you know, I'm a black woman. I don't think I look very scary. I'm there. Mm -hmm. I'm just approachable. But then I'm also like half aware of that. Right. But you're also aware of how like you don't think you look scary, but like, unfortunately, powers that be. But then, but, but, but right. But I also, I speak with my hands. I speak with my face and I'm like, I have expressive eyes and I'm very emotional and I'm very, um, you know, like I get like, 
uh, like I'm very expressive when it comes to like how I, I express my, my passions. Um, and so, you know, right. Like someone could easily twist that and, and view this, this, this bold soul as, as a threat. Um, yeah. and, you know, and it's just, it's difficult that, that I would even yeah. have to like walk around thinking about that. And I, you know, I was talking to my husband the other day and it's like, you know, we're just looking at footage of black people, like just existing and being in spaces and just doing whatever they want to do. And they're just getting approached by a variety of people like questioning and calling out why they're existing in these spaces. And I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I see it. <laughs> I'm like, I see that. Well, that your reaction is like, right. Like it is yeah. laughable. This kind of like fear and prejudice reaction from people is totally laughable to anyone who like has an understanding of humanity. Right. But like, it is like this, it's scary too. Yeah. And and it's, and, and that's the thing. It's like, it just doesn't, it, it makes perfect sense because they, you know, we're right. We're, we're viewed as, as a threat. So before we're viewed as, as human, as people, right. um, and imagine how like an autistic person would feel in that mm. moment that has their own ways of expressing them themselves. Um, you know, a black woman who, has her own ways of just existing in a, in a space um, and having people feel threatened by that. Like, it's just, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's unjust. Yeah. Um, which is why, you know, uh, we just need to continue to create like safe spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Which starts with all this communicating that you're doing by creating zines, by advocating on Twitter and elsewhere, you know, so that people can gain an appreciation for what you guys go through day to day. I'm also curious because, you know, we talked about this before we started the interview, that there's that image that's resurfaced um, of a, a family's lawn and you can see that they've put up signs on the lawn and on the garage door. You know, I have an adult son who's autistic. Um, so if the cops, if you come in, he doesn't understand. So like, please be patient, please don't shoot. What goes through your mind and, and heart when you, you see images like that, that, that black families are having to defend themselves with like signs on their lawn <laughs> to the cops to be like, please don't hurt my son. Who's doing nothing. What is that experience like for you? Um, it's difficult because, you know, and, and I've been having this, this conversation with a lot of other, cause there have been already countless talks and, and virtual meetups about, you know, being black and autistic and what that means. Um, what do we do when we are approached, you know, by the police and what do we tell our kids and who's there to deescalate the situation? Who should be there to, to respond? Um, and, you know, you know, thinking of like Stefan Watts, you know, from Illinois, 15 years old, autistic young male, you know, who had, um, you know, a supportive family also um, was, was just abused by the criminal justice system in terms of making sure that, um, that he, you know, it's when, when the police is called, when there is an autistic kid that is, you know, exhibiting trauma, anxiety, um, you know, the first responder, should that be a police, a police officer? No. Um, you know, a caretaker, someone who, who understands like, an autistic body, an autistic black body, 
uh, uh, what that means. Um, and, and, you know, because not all police are going to walk into the situation with the adequate training and the adequate knowledge. Um, and um, depending on funding that, that is, that is in place for that particular community, is it the cops that are responsive to that community? Like, do they even know the community? Do they know like, Oh, like on 57, whatever Avenue, you know um, we know that, you know, Kevin Johnson lives like on this block and we know that, you know, he, he's registered within like our district and like the, the cops around this, this area, the law enforcement, you know, um, folks in this area are familiar with, 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 you know, that the Johnson family, um, it's really like up to us as a community to say, Hey, like we know our community, like, you know, that, like my grandfather was a Chicago city police officer and he knew the beat. People knew his name. Like he knew, like he knew families' names, like they knew their, each other's kids. Like they knew like so-and-so who lived down the street, you know? Um, so, and they knew that if so-and-so didn't, didn't come home from school that one day that they knew like which family to get in contact to let them know, like they looked mm. out for each other. It was more so, of a community experience in generations past than it is now. Yeah. And, and the fact that that just doesn't exist mm. um, or it doesn't exist a lot or it, like the consistent existence of it doesn't exist a lot within, you know, neighborhoods where there is, um, and, and, and an individual who has like a particular, like, you know, behavioral identity difference, mm. um, or disability. It's like, you know, everyone I feel like should, should rally behind those folks who are the most at risk and who are the most, who, who are going to be targeted the most. So yeah. I would, I would necessarily have to ask, okay, so what was her experience in, you know, in the past, has that particular family, right? Like who's looking out for them? Like what mm-hmm. kind of services do they have? Like, do the neighbors know that that family has an autistic kid? Like who is in right. resident? Because so then I responding by actually reaching out to your community so that you don't have to find yourselves in that situation, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because, because I, I, I want to be able to know that if something is happening to my son, that, the neighbors are going to be like, something isn't right. Like that right. just doesn't look legit, you know, but, but obviously like if they see like a, a squad car there, they're not going to, going to question They're They're automatically thinking that, well, the cops are there because they're supposed to be there. Right. Like something must be. You know, <laughs> Unfortunately, that's often the prevailing wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. So, so black families, and this is for me in talking with like other, you know, black moms who have autistic kids, like they have their, their kids registered with the you know various police district mm. um spaces within their communities to make sure that all right well you know if we're going to be contacting someone they're already in full knowledge of like what my child is at least about and um what challenges like you know he 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 does have and that he should be handled with the utmost respect and care mm. and not abuse and not violence um and again, like it's, it's different for, for a variety of families, but, um, you know, some, again, you know, like cops are, are, are coming into the situation with this person is a threat. My life, like my life could end today. So naturally they're already coming into the situation on defense mode and not and like triggered. Yeah. Right. 
it's defense mode and it's not like, let me save this person. No. Um, it's really interesting that you've actually like the stance you've taken is to actually go into the psyche of a cop and, and sort of try to understand it from their perspective, which is exactly what black families are asking cops to do. Right. You know, that like we're asking cops to, to actually think first and like think about other people's situation and like bring some humanity to their treatment of other people. Um, so you're responding to a lack of humanity with all of the humanity that you can, which I think is a really beautiful response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we haven't really touched too much on your Graves disease as well. I want to quickly touch on that as well. You told me um, via email that you treated it with radioactive iodine, but was this all like before your pregnancy? Was this earlier on? Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah. So, so, th- so this was, um, like in my early twenties, when I started noticing some really weird, like skin lesions and, and reactions, mm-hmm. and like my body was just doing some really interesting things. Like I was breaking out in hives, and mm-hmm. and of course, like it's 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 a genetic condition. Um, and my mom was was hyperthy, you know, was was hyper oh, in wow. terms of like hyperthyroidism and Graves disease. And so, um, but it wasn't something that I ever thought that I was gonna develop or that I was at risk of because I was I was good until mm-hmm. freshman year of college. Um and then, you know, they're doing blood work and they're like, yeah, you know, like your 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 blood levels are, are are a little wonky. But they were but because I was still, you know, young, like they were able to 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 balance it out with like a little bit of medication. And you can get various treatments where you do like an uptake and you can get it um, where the thyroid is, is shrunken down like a little bit, you know, and it's not completely gone. Um, but later on, as, as, as I got older and I had, you know, just different hormonal like changes and, and imbalances, um, that was when they were like, yeah, like your levels are like super high and we're going to have to completely like burn this out of you. <laughs> And yeah, so that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have to get the surgery. I just got like the, the iodine treatment and I had to, you know, quarantine myself and I was only 21. Wow. That was really young. Yeah. 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 It was a really weird time. Um, and so now like I'm taking, you know, um, the levothyroxine pill, which is like a pill that kind of helps to work as, um, like a, like a hormone that your body really mm. isn't producing. Yeah. Um, Produces the thyroid hor- hormone. Exactly that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but right. Pregnancy can, can, can alter that. And you have to make sure that those levels are like really perfect and, and, and on point to make sure that you can even, you know, have a, a thriving pregnancy. Um, and, you know, because I was still like young ish uh, when I had Knox, like I was able to pretty much, you know, like get all of those levels contained. Mm. Um, but it's something that you were monitoring throughout the pregnancy, it sounds like. It was something that I was monitoring, but um, making sure that you have the right doctor that mm. that that basically understands. Like most primary cares, they're like, okay, well, you know, this blood work shows these levels and then that's it. There's no like guide in terms of like nutrition wise no, to help sustain like your, your body and, and what you can do to continue to 
feel like you're not as sluggish and like you don't have as much fatigue because they don't even always tell you, oh, these are the side effects of the medication. No, these are- they don't. <laughs> because they don't even tell you that with the pill half the time. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And, and like the, me- like the medication isn't enough. Like you have to continue mm. to like, it's lifestyle management. Yeah. You have to keep yourself yeah. healthy. You have to keep yourself well. Um, and you can't necessarily always dictate what your body is going to do. Like, you know, women and the way that we age and the way that our body shifts and changes is just like, <laughs> I know. And our environments, which are constantly barraging us with toxins. And, you know, there's no wonder there's been such a rise in cases of autoimmune disease when our environment becomes more and more toxic, surely. Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieko, a graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law. She's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com for more. So that's interesting. So you've had your own health experience. And then, of course, you have Knox and he's having his own health experience. And I'm wondering between yours and your experience as his advocate, whether you've been in situations where you've been confronted and forced to justify diagnoses to other people because they're invisible. You know, how, how have those situations looked when people have confronted you to validate for them the existence of your diagnosis? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's hard because, you know, you, you know, just folks are just coming from all different perspectives and they have their own, you know, uh, list of, of characteristics and attributes that they know that this is what autism looks like, or they know this is what, you know, an autoimmune disease looks like. Um, and, and, and naturally, you know, they're not, they're not really understanding and there's just, you know, looks and statements and comments about, well, you know, this is what you should be doing, you know, for your child and you should be getting them these kinds of services and, and, and you should be, you know, taking these kinds of vitamins and steps and, but right, like, it's just folks trying to give me their own specific types of diagnoses. Um, And then also trying to like, you know, put us in a box in terms of like, well, this is like what you should be doing versus like, well, you know, this is like what you need to be able to just continue to be happy and to be joyful and to be, Mm. you know. I love uh, your approach to that too, because everything that you do, especially with Knox is about finding joy in being outside the box, you know, like that's the lesson that you're, you're bringing to people. So it's, I love that you're, you're talking about that because people, we, we do, I think so many of us, like we're small minded and I've been this person too. And I'm sure I will be this person in the future where our only way to understand something is to put it in a box that makes sense to us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's about expanding those boxes or obliterating them entirely and sort of looking more at individuals, isn't it? Completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I've lived, you know, um, 
it's it's like like I know what it's like to live in just like this real dark pit where I'm just like well I'm just gonna be sad because that's just the only way to make sense of it if I'm like basically not allowing for myself to be happy or not allowing myself to to be in a place of of um of like freedom of like liberation you know and so that's what the art does a lot of people are like, well, what do you do for self-care and how are you managing it all? And I'm like, well, you know, art is really like what I use to just yeah. as, as care, you know, it's. And you're and, teaching Knox to do the same, which is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so just making sure that, because I'm like, I feel like, you know, making stuff like in a silo and making all this artwork just, just to have it for myself. And I'm like, well, I made it and it's just for me. And I'm just going to, you know, keep it here and say, say that, that I made this cool thing to express, but I'm like, well, but I'm not by myself. I'm not alone. Like, Hmm. and, and for a while I was like, sure, I'll just make, you know, this zine just for, you know, other autistic families, other black autistic families. Um, and you know, and, it can, you know, have, have some, some, some impact. Sure. But the minute that I decided to really let myself go and see how it could be used as like a really helpful tool Mm. to continue to how much bigger your box could become. Yeah. 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 Exactly. How the box can evolve into, um, into a sphere or a triangle or like whatever shape, right? Exactly. You know, yeah. full of like different perspectives, full of, of, of dialogue and, and communities and, and relationships. And so once I accepted and once I understood that it was so much bigger mm. than just, you know, a book about like my son, it, it, that's when it really just took so much, like took like, like you said, like a different shape and a different form. Yeah. Um, and that's really what this whole experience is about, like transformation, you know, mm. like making sure that we're not like, I don't want to be the same person. And and I look back at the things that I wrote in the zine or even like the things that I wrote on my website when I was like sharing the zine. And I'm like, man, like I don't even express myself the same way. Mm. I don't even talk about like autism in the same way. And I shouldn't, like, I should continue to like experience and to research and to listen more and to, to evolve, more, to evolve, to make sure that like, I'm understanding how the conversation is changing, mm. especially when it comes to like, black and autistics and, and what they're going through and what um what they need to continue to like to be empowered by like mm. the conversation needs to continue to shift and broaden yeah, yeah um, absolutely. completely I think that's beautifully said what about I mean you also mentioned between Knox's experiences and the experiences of some of your students as well, um, particularly your black students um, and other students of color you know I'm interested to know about your experience of medical bias, um, you know, have you experienced prejudice or privilege in the medical system because of the way you present, because you're a family, a black family, you know, can you see your circumstances maybe having been different in terms of the services readily available to Knox and even to you in treating your Graves disease and everything, if you'd shown up and been a white family? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you know, it's easy to, well, first, you know, you know, black and and Latino kids are are not likely to, to be diagnosed Hmm. as, as, as quickly um, because of, right. Like the lack of resources. 
or the the or just um, the availability of, of resources, and even if it's just services to just yeah. help to have your your child to 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 communicate, you know, like just using words, you know, mm. whether whether if they're non speaking or 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 not. Um, and so I have families that will always ask me that same question, like, well, where do I go? Like, who do I turn to? Like, you know, what, what, like, what kind of access is, is out there, you know? And, and obviously, you know, there's like the developmental pediatrician, there's like the clinical access, but making sure that it's, it's like right for your family and making mm-hmm. sure that um, you So feel- not accepting the first answer if it's the wrong one also, right? Like it's about pivoting if you need to, to protect your family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, And that sounds like that's an awareness thing, but also like you're going to come across practitioners who may be actively racist or exhibit some form of bias. And it's, it's also our job to sort of see that and pivot when we see it. Right. Well, yeah. Or, or, or basically subject like your kid to like abusive, like therapies and trying to kind of make sure again that they like adapt to the the societal norms and that um that their sensory experiences and the things that they latch on to may, may be different and that mm-hmm. if my kid wants to stim in a really cool unique way then like let him do it you know like if they want to um you know jump and if and if they want to sing like that they should be allowed to to do that on their own terms if that's what makes them happy um, and this that also they- means systemic change, doesn't it? Like that the yeah. systems that are serving these kids and, and families who have neurodivergent family members, you know, the services that are, are serving you from clinicians to social services and, and what have you, that these need to change systemically to support not just white families, but everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because I think that, um, Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's lot. Fraught. I know it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot. And I, and I feel like, um, you know, my, like Knox, like we never, there's, there's not necessarily like a reward system where it's like, well, if you do this, you'll get this and you can mm-hmm. only get this if you do this and this and this and this. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like that can just get a little out of control. Yeah. You know? um, it makes access to services inaccessible when you create so many boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to us also a little bit more about the development of your Black Disabled Lives Matter symbol, the the fist um, that you created? So a lot of that really arose from, um, again, like making sure that I was in full alignment with having amazing relationships and conversations with a lot of disabled activists, Hmm. um, listening to their perspectives, listening to their stories, um, feeling more comfortable about my own disability, um, accepting like those aspects, because like you said, it's like certain aspects of what my disability entails is invisible. You know, Hmm. um, a lot of it is, you know, hormonal and, um, and it's related to fatigue and, and, and energy and, yeah. and sometimes, and, and a lot of it is, you know, right. It's, 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 it's easier to be labeled like, well, you're just weird and you're crazy and, and you're just, you know, ugh, like you're just a procrastinator and you just need to get it together and mm-hmm. all this language. 
you know, things that Very are just, ableist, yeah. yeah, things are just that are really abusive. Hmm. And so, um, I knew that there needed to be an artistic reaction hmm. that could help like amplify everything that everybody's going through, like amplify, mm-hmm. like, you know, disabled black people being completely brutalized by society, by police, mm-hmm. um, a system that is working against them, but then also making sure that the artistic response could be something that could also empower yes. community yes. to say, Hey, like, wow, like we have some, like, you know, we have like this really cool, cause the black disabled lives matter hashtag, like that's not, something that I created, Imani Barbarian, various um, disabled Black folk within the community who have used that hashtag on a variety of of, of art, of posters and, and artwork, you know, within the past couple of years mm. um, and realizing how language can have uh, power and the ability to help activate social change. Mm. So I took like just those words and I knew that they needed to be used in, in a, just in a heavy, bold way to yeah. continue to kind of ramp up visibility of, of this community that is oftentimes being erased because people, you know, you can't talk about black lives matter without being intersectional <laughs> without yeah. talking about, black disabled folks, black trans folks, hmm. black women, black men, like you need to be able to understand how unique we all hmm. are, how, you know, amazing we are. And that we're dealing with a variety of different um, situations. Yeah. And so a lot of people forget that anxiety is a disability, you know, depression, you know, hmm. emotional disabilities, you know, autism, um, you know, lead poisoning, yeah. <laughs> autoimmune <laughs> conditions. Yeah. All of these things that a lot of these folks have been, you know, affected by and mm-hmm. that have, whether it's been a detriment to like their development or people have made it like a detriment to say, well, because you have, because you're autistic right. or because you have epilepsy, like we're going to make your life hard and we're going to make mm-hmm. you feel like you're less than, and we're just going to put you over in this corner because, you know, you, you're, you know, you have developmental disabilities, you have cognitive disabilities. So you're, you know, we're going to leave you in a separate area and we're Mm going to make you feel separate. And we're going to, you know, just have you working with these people who aren't necessarily like going to be advocating for you in, in, in the best way. Mm. Um, Because we just want you to conform, you know? Right. So I, so all of everything that, that I've been seeing within the past, like three weeks, all of like within my own life, within the, the, the various uprisings, hmm. um, I knew that there needed to be some sort of artistic response. And again, like there were many artists who were, who were, you know, using the, the words, the hashtag to, to create a variety of really beautiful hmm. artistic responses. Um, and because that's the language that I speak and yeah. the language that I that I felt comfortable communicating with to help amplify my community, mm. um, you know, the folks who I want to save, the folks who who are are the future. Um, 
that's where like this whole the piece came into play um the black power fist right i mean it's used as like a symbol that that amplifies resistance and nonconformity and power and of you know like i said resistance and being able to say hey like we're gonna fight everything that that is against us by any means necessary um and so making sure that the disability community feels seen within the symbol calls for, okay, well, what are some symbols that can help to kind of make sure that all of these various disabilities like can coexist, you know, because we're all, like you said, like we all intersect and we're all like with each other and should be rooting for each other and should be amplifying e- each other because we're all different and, and unique but, but we all are, you know, disabled. Um, so, you know, with ADHD and, you know, autistic folks, like I knew that that infinity symbol would definitely kind of help to tie like black disability and resistance and activism and protest. And so, um, it was really just like an experimentation that I was just using to kind of like say, Hey, like this is how I'm responding to everything that that's happening. Mm. And I want to make sure that the community is being like amplified as a part of this, this conversation. Yeah. Um, because there are statistics, like there were so many people that were like, really like half of people who, who, who are arrested are like folks with disabilities and like yeah. what percentage of that is the black community and, and how many people, you know, like what, like, you know, and I was reading all of these various articles and all of these, um, these stats, you know, you know, half of like, you know, folks with disabilities will, will be arrested by the time they're, they're 28, yeah. you know, it's just like, like, that's, that's like, it's shocking. Yeah. yeah. It's like we're already thing. dealing with shocking news, you know, like, and this is an additional shock to the system and, and one that like we need to be aware of in order to change things systemically. Yeah. And this, and this, this, you know, this includes folks that are just, you know, going out for a walk, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that are just existing yeah. in, 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 in their everyday like neighborhoods, just kind of trying to do, do their thing. Um, and yeah, like, it includes like my son, you know? Mm. Um, and if, and if he chose to, to respond in his own way to, 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 to a situation, if he was like with a group of his friends, you know, right. Like, would he be like, let go with a warning or, or is, are they just mm. going to take him in because he said something, you know, mm. and he chose to, and I'm not even going to say be defiant or non-compliant, but he just chose to respond because yeah. he's unarmed because he's unarmed and because he's just hanging out, you know? Mm. Um, I love that you're thinking about your son's future in this, that you're thinking about the future of the entire black community with a symbol like this too. And that infinity symbol says it all really, because it's not just connected to neurodivergent behavior, you know, but it's also connected to this continuity as you're talking about. And, you know, even this concept of resistance um, and response, but, you know, wrapped up with the joy and the sorrow of the experience, like fully embodying an experience really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I know a lot of, a lot of folks were, were focused on, you know, portraits of, of, of the folks who have been murdered. And and I did like a few, I mean, those are also important. We're not saying they're not. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, And I even did some, you know, cause, cause like I felt like, I wanted to use like my artistic voice to be able to like 
play with digital collage and to mm. tribute, you know, so many different activists or, or tribute, you know, Breonna Taylor and George mm. Floyd. And, and it's like, you know, we, we need, it's up to us as a community to keep like their memory alive. And then also to have like this symbol that can help rally so many voices and can bring visibility because there have been so many disability activists who already have such a really amazing thought provoking platform where they use their words to, to just amplify so much information that is constantly being erased from, from the headlines. Mm. Um, And so it's been awesome to be able to kind of see the symbol being used by voices who have, who always need to be at the forefront, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, like, you know, so folks that want to interview us and if they're going to go to like so-and-so, you know, congressperson, you know, that maybe doesn't have a disability, but that, you know, represents the constituents of like a community, but it's like, mm-hmm. but if you're not disabled, like you're not necessarily going to be able to like speak for us. So mm-hmm. you need to be speaking to an actual disabled individual that has firsthand experience. Yeah. Um, and and make that and that a representative experience as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're very grateful to you for putting the work into making that symbol. And it's it's wonderful to be able to share the artwork of individuals like you, you know, to be able to also continue to amplify your experiences. So thank you for giving us all that gift because if you guys don't know about the symbol, I'll post it in my stories and everything so everyone can see. But um it's really beautiful and something that we should all be embracing. Um, we're sliding into the the sort of tail end of the interview here. And I like to wrap up with a couple of top three lists. And I wondered if you could give me your top three tips uh, for someone who maybe they suspect something's off with them or their child is maybe having some behavioral differences. What would you recommend um, either for parents of a neurodivergent child or um, for someone who's going through their own health experience, what pieces of advice, top three pieces of advice would you give people who are sort of heading into this like world of invisibility and needing to understand themselves better? Yeah. I mean, I would just really recommend like just doing your research, um, researching what actual representatives are saying, not necessarily just doctors or, or clinicians, but researching what other, um, disability advocates are, are saying or, or activists are saying um, that's where I've gotten the majority of my support from is, you know, just really familiarizing myself with, you know, folks who have had, who, who've experienced, you know, um, whether it's been bigotry or whether it's just been clear, flat out racism, uh, making sure that I understand like their experiences or, or who've had to really mask their disabilities. Um, just reading and listening to like what they say. Um, it's just really beautiful to see someone who's really raw and honest. Um, because that to me, that is like a form of, of, of education. So I've spent a lot of time just like reading and just really being observant of that, of that community. And I've learned so much. I love that. So number one is like, do your research and Mm -hmm. seek, seek resources that are direct from experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What else would you recommend? Um, so 
Right. Once you've done the research, you know, it's like, okay, well, how is this going to impact like my own disability? Um, and, you know, what am I going to do now? Like with, with everything that I've absorbed and that I've read and, you know, the diagnoses of, of whatever I've, I've received now, how am I going to, to live with it? Am I going to live with, am I going to mask it? Am I going to try to hide it? Am I going to try to, you know, keep it under wraps because I don't want to be stigmatized by it? Or am I going to embrace it and be a part of like, you know, community? And that, that leads me to like the third one, right? There's three, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. There's so, three. <laughs> you get three. So then start, start uh, questioning your situation, right? That's number two. And number three. And number three is like, find your community. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So find the community of people that are like you mm. that, are going to amplify you, not necessarily bash you or judge you, or, you know, this is, you know, a group for autistic people who want to be like neurotypical people who don't who no longer want to be autistic anymore. Like that's not a group for you, you know, right. you know, like I'm not, you know, that's, or, that's a or, shame cycle that, yeah, let's avoid the shame. Yeah. Or this is a group for women, black women who have ADHD, who want to be completely cured of it. It's like, no, like I want to be able to understand how to manage it and And accept it it and accept it. But then also feel like I can like get together with other black women, other women who are like, yeah, well, this is like some of the stuff that, that I do, or here's like a cool art project that I did inspired by or, or, or helping because a lot of the artwork that I do is helps me to kind of understand like the disability community. Um, you know, it helps to form like all these relationships and I'm learning, you know, like, you know, meeting various, you know, disabled folks from the national Alliance of multicultural disabled advocates and partnering up with them to like commemorate the 30th anniversary of the American disabilities act and meeting, you know, black deaf people, black blind people, black wheelchair users, becoming friends with them for the first time and realizing, you know, oh, okay, well now, like, you know, I've spent a lot of time advocating for my son and I, I'm familiar with the folks who are in, you know, the autism community and, you know, who are other people that I can seek out? Who are, what are other relationships that I can form with people who have different disabilities and mine, but we still somewhat speak the same language because we're black <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, 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 like finding that common ground, find that thing that keeps you like knits you together, right? And then understand the diversity of the experiences, it sounds like. Yeah. And then understand how like as a community we can rally for change and rally for amplification. And if we had the opportunity and the support and the funding, what like this is what we can make if you just move out of our way and just let us <laughs> like this is yes. what this is what what we can do and what 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 we can create. So it's like finding the, you know, the community, being a part of that community and sticking with that community, um, you know, and not like, oh, I met you. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're cool. And then you just kind of trail off. I'm not saying some people, you know, work better like on their own and lots of people overwhelm them and lots of voices overwhelm them. And it's, it's maybe if it's just you and you're a part of like a collective with like one or two other people and that's what you do and you make all this cool stuff, like that, that's awesome Great. too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, as long as you find like a community, whether it's 10, whether it's two people, um, mm-hmm. that is going to be what 
really helps you. And that's what I really love that Crip Camp does. Yes. um, The virtual, like the Crip Camp virtual chats. um, That's kind of like a little summer camp, like fireside summer camp where you can just kind of like hang out virtually and meet folks and listen and learn from, from disability activists, folks who've been rallying for like decades um, that are like our ancestors and that are our our elders and that are helping to kind of, you know, continue so much work and to help to, um, to inspire so many like young disabled black folk um, and, and folks of color. And it's really cool because on Sundays, you know, we'll like, they'll have conversations about everything, disability, history, sex, like all sorts of really like heavy duty stuff that, you know, it's okay for like the disability community to talk about because we have the same, you know, conversations and we want to be able to like know what we can do to like be there for each other. And then we have like these little side chats, like these little after hour party rooms where we can meet other folks and be a part of like a cool little like, you know, room where, where we can just talk a little bit about what we do. And you're like, oh my gosh, like. That's so awesome. And and that's, it seems like that's really how you found a community to lean on aside from the, the varying other, you know, like the Twitter side of things and, and, you know, everything that you're involved with having that outlet and being able to make those friends has been really meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. This is the last question and it's my favorite. I want to know, especially because you're someone who exudes a lot of joy and seems to seek joy in your varied experiences and, and to, really spread that joy out to other people. What are the top things that give you, and this is top three things that give you unbridled joy that you're, maybe you've made some lifestyle, you know, management changes, um, both for yourself with your diagnosis and, and for Knox as he's growing up, um, to work around, you know, his needs. But these can be, you know, guilty pleasures, secret indulgences. They can be comfort activities, especially because you're an active advocate. Um, what are the top three things that give you unbridled joy? And these can be things just for you, or they can be things maybe you share with Knox. Uh, so, <laughs> so unbridled joy is, of course, like kisses and hugs and affection. I love that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's really because, sweet. <laughs> you know, we, and the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, we just now where a lot of black mothers aren't able to hug their, their kids, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, we just need to hold on to each other as much as possible. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Yes. We, we need to hold on to each other as much as possible. And also, you know, COVID-19 has, has, you know, it's, you know, I have a grandmother-in-law who's, you know, in Jersey and, you know, in a home and I can't have access to her. My grandmother is in Orlando, like I can't have access to her now and they're both 94. And so that, that hurts that I can't be there to kind of like hold on to them and hug them and just sit and be in their presence. And, um, and so the fact that like, I've been able to be home with my son, we had like this very like super busy schedule and I would commute two hours to work and, you know, I would see him late at night and come home and we hug and cuddle together. And now it was like, we went from, you know, um, you know, kind of like these, these heavy, you know, hectic schedules to like COVID where we're like with each other 
24 hours a day, all the yes. hustles like in the world. And <laughs> we were able to kind of, to like completely like just enjoy each other's, you know, presence and touch and smell like all over again. And that means so much, especially since I had a very traumatic birthing experience. Um, you know, so he was in an, an isolate for almost like two weeks before I could actually really hold him. Wow. Um, so I, I latch that, that is what gives me unbridled joy is just that the bond, the skin, yes. skin like the holding, like, and very- the time, the time as well to have that available. Yeah. So that, that's, that's number one. Um, and then <laughs> number two is probably what brings me unbridled joy is like just rest and self-care. Um, just being able to know mm. when to slow down. Yeah. What does uh, self-care look like to you? Yeah. Like self-care, like just means like t- making time to, to rest, making time to like give myself more time to wake up in the morning and not to be like, roll out of bed and be like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, like just kind of like just relaxing a bit more, just giving myself the more like brain time to just yeah ease my way out of bed and not I'm try totally to- with you there. Yeah. I'm not a morning person either. So like, oh. I get you. <laughs> we need a little more time. Us ladies with the thyroid disorders, just give us more time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, man, this, this struggle is real. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and plus like, um, yeah, so just resting and because some of the things like we can't always control like chronic fatigue and what that feels like and yeah. just hit us like at any moment um, yeah. because like everything is, in, in, you know, is, is imbalanced. Um, so we need to be able to like fight for like what our bodies want to do. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, so right. Number two is like self-care and rest. And then three is um, space. So mm. <laughs> unbridled, what, what gives me unbridled joy is, is my environment. Like if I'm cooked up for too long, or if I know that if a simple change of scenery can like help reset the tone, if I need like a recharge, then going for a walk, yeah. Yeah. You know, just getting out, putting myself like in a different space or like, and that is like a whole, that that's also a part of the ADHD is like rearranging like my room every five minutes or like switching things around or never being fully satisfied with like yeah. what, what a particular space looks like. So that, that it brings me unbridled joy when I can just kind of say, Hey, like I'm going to be like here for this day, or I'm going to be here for these few hours to kind of help reset and to kind of, take a break from reality. So just mm. changing like my environment or like reconfiguring like my space mm. to be more, you know, to like, ex- you probably love gallery well. spaces too. I bet. Cause they're so oh, changeable. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. We didn't really touch on the, the ADHD, but I mean, I know that that's, you mentioned that you're living with what is undiagnosed ADHD. And do you think that the reason it's been undiagnosed is because you've been so focused on Knox or do you think it's also because of medical bias and people not wanting to take you seriously? Probably it's, both. It's all of that. It's yeah. All, it's all of that. It's all of that. And especially because like I'm a professor, I've mm-hmm. only really started to like acknowledge it um, easily in front of students or when I do like artist talks or when I get asked to speak at different places. Um, I, I, as of recently, like I've been more comfortable like talking about it and 
the minute that I decided to just be really honest, like I've had students, oh my gosh, like I have it too. And oh, like there's so much stigma. And and I thought that I was strange and weird and off. And I'm like, nah, like you you can thrive and you can succeed. (laughs) You can be amazing and beautiful. Um, And, uh, and again, like it hits folks in a variety of different ways, you know, whether they're for me, like, like I could, I can, I, hyper-focus to the point where I'm just exhausted and I can't like work on that project anymore. And once I remove myself from it, like it'll take me forever to like get back to it. And naturally, right, folks may think of that as, well, you're just procrastinating and you're lazy and you don't want to get back to it. It's because like, I just don't have the bandwidth to get back to it because I want to treat it with care. And I know that I can't do that right now. Um, and COVID yes, I'm nodding so much to this conversation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And COVID, it was just really difficult because like, right, like my priorities changed um, and circumstances changed and my focus level changed. And it was like, it, it was, it was, it, it was rough. And then, you know, I deal with a lot of imposter syndrome and I'm like, well, like I'm not doing enough and I'm not, I'm not being like the best artist that I can be right now. So I got to, you know, keep, keep cranking out stuff. Mm. And this was like, you know, what I was going through a lot through COVID because I had so many different opportunities that were lined up thinking that, Oh, if I only do, if I do those things, that's, what's going to define me. And if I'm not doing those things, then I need to be pushing myself to like, figure out what else to do, um, to stay, you know, like relevant and to stay. It's the, well, it's the exact same, like sort of the exact same experience that you described a lot of your students going through a lot of your autistic students, sort of like understanding where they fit in the rubric yeah. of like the, the bigger picture. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And then of course, like um, executive functioning and like just being super disorganized. Um, and, you know, like mm. I'll have like, like 20 different folders on my computer that are labeled the exact same thing. But because I can't find it and it's on like another flash drive, I have to make a brand new folder. Or if I do a talk at a university, I have to create like the same folder with the same amount of work each time. I don't just have like one folder that has everything. It's like I have to create another folder each time. Mm -hmm. Like I have to start. That's also like I want to call that a fault in tech design too, because it hasn't taken into account the needs of people with different behavioral needs, you know, like it's taken on one point of view, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then like, I'll go back and I'll be like, oh, like I made a folder that was already called, you know, like Women's March 2019, but I made like five other folders that were called the exact same thing because I, I knew that I couldn't focus on trying to find the folder that I made Mm -hmm. and I would feel better starting an a new one that has the same exact images that the other folder had. And then you're repeating the cycle too. Yeah. I'm repeating the cycle. And so now like I've tried to like create like a, a template um, of, of slides that I know that if I'm going to this location, I know that I can like, you know, you know, recycle a, like a slideshow and maybe like repurpose and add like a few images without mm. making myself feel so overwhelmed. Yeah. Because yeah. Smart. Yeah. But it sounds like this is something that like, you'll probably be in the process of getting diagnosed once COVID has become more manageable Mm -hmm. because it's something that you're becoming more and more aware of just now. But it's, it's interesting that it's taken so long because you, you say that you yourself suffer from imposter syndrome, but I would also argue that like, there's a level of also being ignored by clinicians 
you know, that plays into one developing imposter syndrome, right? You know, that like if you've been gaslit or had adverse experiences or traumatic experiences, like you mentioned with your birth, you know, um, those are going to be experiences that inform the way that you move through the world. And so this is informing the way that you're responding to this revelation, but it also sounds like you're perfectly equipped to advocate for yourself mm-hmm. when you do get there, when we get past this COVID hump. Yeah. And, and, I, and I just hope that when I move forward to get the diagnosis, hopefully like I'll be taken seriously and I'll be like, well, look, this is, these are the things that, that are, are happening. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that, oh, I want medication. Can you give me something to like cure me or, or, or to control me? But, um, like, Hey, like, let's talk about strategies or let's talk about other ways that I can help to balance and, and to manage and how I can use like, so like right now, like I'm using like my art and I'm using, you know, like all these other aspects of, of creative expression to help me navigate through that, you know? Um, yes. and, and you're teaching your you son know, to do that too, which I think is yeah. super amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm really trying to find how, how I can treat it in a really like holistic way because that, yeah, because that in itself is like very, that, that defines like wellness to me, you know? Mm, I Um, love that. I love that you say that. And I think also, it's also about like when you come across those practitioners who are maybe exhibiting bias, giving yourself permission, right. To move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure that'll be another story, you know, we'll have you back on to talk about that. I'm like, (laughs) how many, like how many, you know, primary cares are going to be like, are you sure? Like, well, we don't think so. Or you're just blah, blah, blah. Or, or even, you know, in, in explaining it to my husband, like I had to like constantly say like, look, like these are the signs and you see like mm-hmm. this and this and this and this. And even when I'm telling a story, like it takes me like 15 minutes just to get to the point. And he, I don't think I would, I would disagree with that. You've done great today. (laughs) Because like, this is a very organized setting. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm very considerate of your time. Oh my God. I'm trying to be considerate of yours too. So we're both like moving along with it. Yeah. And I had, and and I had even said, I think I had even said to you via email, I was like, I ramble or something I had said. Did you say that? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe I had said it to somebody else. (laughs) I've been asked so much this week. Truly, about- but truly you haven't rambled. Like everything you've said has been so relevant. And so that's, you know, I'm, I'm so honored to have had you on to talk about this stuff. And it's because it takes that much power to keep me like in tune because my brain, I'm like constantly trying to figure out like the word it's like, I say, I want to mm-hmm. be organic, but then I also am afraid that like, if I'm too organic, I'm not necessarily going to say like, the right thing because again Mm. I'm I'm like trying so hard to like be perfect and to have impact and to make sure that everything that I'm saying is like on point and like effective and you know because I'm speaking on behalf of so many people yes that's a big pressure yeah so it's so so yeah so it's a lot of pressure um making sure that like I do my my due diligence um and it's a lot and that in itself like you know can just weigh down black women because (laughs) Yeah, but I'm glad you bring that up too, because I think a lot of the black community right now is feeling fatigued, but black women are probably bearing the brunt of that, you know, and, and have for a very long time. This is a huge discussion that's, you know, coming up again as, um, all of these recent attacks and murders have been covered from 
whatever angle on the news, you know, um, but like, it's always black women who lead the charge for change, who, who will not accept, you know, the things they cannot change, but, you know, create the change. So um, we have only you to thank for all of the change that's coming our way. Yeah. And like, and like you said, I mean, we've been, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer and, you know, I mean, like the, the list goes on Ella Baker, all of these activists, black women who were like, disabled and or who were you know had their own way of defining like what resistance meant to them and um like they were you know unbossed as as Shirley Chisholm says Mm. unbossed and unbought and making um that you know right like we leave the charge like we we have we, we create our own tables and we know exactly like when you put us in control like trust me like we're gonna make moves because it is a survival game um you know and so we 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 do what what we got to do uh well and i i'm so appreciative of you taking the time today to share some part of your journey um with activism with creating this change um from such a very personal place uh because that's what you're doing you know with your presence on social media and giving a really personal insight into your life, your life with uh, an autistic son. And um, as you continue to expand on your own experience, I mean, this is a beautiful thing to witness. And I hope that, you know, more people will be aware of what people like you are doing and, and listen, you know, and I would love for you to also tell everyone where they can find you online as we wrap things up. (laughs) So I'm at jenwhitejohnson.com. And that's like a, a personal space where I, uh, talk a little bit about like my teaching and my, my teaching philosophy. And I have student work mm. um, that I've done like activist projects that I've done with, with my students. And then I also talk a little bit about like the art builds that I've done and the different communities that I've been a part of and collaborations. And then um, autistic joy is a website that is really dedicated to um, the disability advocacy and the, artwork that has really sprung from various conversations with disabled folks and things that I've read. Um, and then also, you know, like my artistic response to, you know, being a part of, you know, my son's neurodivergent experience. And so I knew that I was going to have to make another website that was kind of like dedicated to like another aspect of like disability justice and disability advocacy, because we don't really get a chance to see what a lot of, you know, disabled, um, you know, black disabled artists are actually doing. Um, well, and that joy, that idea of joy yeah. is a form of resistance too. you know, the black joy is, is resistance. I mean, I, it fits yeah. with everything that you do too. Yeah, totally. It, yeah. It, it, it has to, for mm-hmm. sure. Cause you know, I don't want, I'm not, you know, in, in the mood. I mean, yes, I will complain about the injustices and about, the erasure of, you know, black kids and media and and especially black disabled kids. But then I also want to be able to, to amplify, okay, well, this is who we are. And we have a lot of joy and a lot of vibrancy to bring to the table. And if you continue to snuff us out of this conversation or to like unjustly take our lives, this is what you'll be missing. You'll, you'll be missing the opportunity to be a part of our joy and, um, you know, Mm. If there ever was a call for community, this is, this is it. 
I also want to ask you before I let you go, Jen, about um, the Black Disabled Lives Matter graphic that you created. What we didn't talk about is the fact that it's available as a free download on your website, right? Yes. So it's available as a free download because I wanted to make sure that um, folks could print it and share it and use it as an act of protest and in an act of solidarity and allyship with the disability community. Um, And I've been asking folks that after they print and if they use it in protests to share like, you know, their whole like fun visual experience with me. Um, And, and I've been getting countless images from Scotland, London, Switzerland, amazing, uh, San Francisco, um, Dartmouth, Massachusetts, um, (laughs) Baltimore, Maryland, DC of, you know, families like using it in their neighborhood protests um, and then also, and that's just the poster. I've, I've also made a printable available of just like a, a basically an outline of the fist um, so that families can color the hand in. Like I've done that with my son um, where, and you know, it's been a really great tool to kind of use to help encourage dialogue about like anti-racism and, mm. and what racism looks like in the disability community and how, and like I said, like, again, like it may not mean, it may not have value for like some people, but it has value for me in terms of if art can be used as a tool to help create that much needed conversation dialogue. Mm. Um, but using art to kind of help again, to help navigate what that language is yeah and what intersectionality really looks like right like what true acceptance and community looks like yeah yeah and and I so I just really wanted to make it accessible to everybody because again I didn't make this just for me as a Mm -hmm. wallpaper so that I can be like oh I made this no you're giving your work away for free because you care yeah so it's Mm -hmm. been awesome to kind of get you know, donations, people are like, where's your tip jar? Like, (laughs) I hope you've got a link to a tip jar on your, uh, on your social media feeds too. Yeah. 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 So it's been really beautiful getting the, the, the support. Um, and, and, and it's also been exhausting, you know, because a lot of people are getting, these are like, you know, I follow many young black, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, females that are just running these, these, these businesses like on their own, you know, oh, like a design here and there that was really just meant for like a small community, but like, whoo, it was like buy black ended mm-hmm. up becoming this way for folks to be like, well, we want to be able to be allies and, and it, it's a lot. I mean, it, you know, it's, you're, well, you're giving us a tool to be better allies and it's a free tool. And that's the point as well, isn't it? It's that like, there's no excuse not to use this opportunity to be a better ally and start having these more difficult conversations that we've all been avoiding for too long. Yeah. And and it's like, and, and if I'm going to create artwork that is going to help amplify the community, then mm-hmm. it's like, well then, yeah, like I, I want you to print it and I want you to share it and I want you to make it your own um, way to, to communicate allyship, um, and to amplify the community. And, and plus, like, I want to be able to like, tell people you have no excuse to like, say that you weren't given artwork that you could use for free to share. And beautiful artwork that you can also, as you say, like, take an interactive moment with, with your family or with friends, you know, like you can color it in if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's been really uplifting to kind of see people want to be a part of it. And I made sure that it's not like, Oh, just share the social media graphic. It's like people have been sharing like the words and the, 
the stats and the facts and then mm. also you know how they're like remixing it because they're putting the symbol like on their windows and they're they're putting the 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 symbols on t-shirts and um and i've been really open to like making sure that people feel like that they can transform um the artwork Mm. and as long as it's in an act of protest and solidarity um then that's like what the symbol can, can continue to mean for, for folks. Um, so yes, it's been, that's been a big part of this experience that has been like very like rewarding is seeing people want to align themselves so much with like what the symbol means and what Mm. it's saying. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're actually making me think what a nice idea to like get a couple of friends together, even if we're all six feet apart on someone's lawn and do a few of those printouts and then everyone has one that they can either put in their window or, you know, do on like add to some like Oak tag or something and, and bring to a, a an event, a March. So yeah. maybe that's the next step is, for me as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what everyone's been doing. And it's been like, mm daily like i mean daily i've been getting dms like hey like i'm i'm all the way from like Dar- dartmouth massachusetts and, and it was like literally like a, a protest of just white people and it was just like you could see like one black person and then there was like a white person holding up the symbol that like, sounds wow. about right for dartmouth massachusetts right <laughs> and i was like this is real i was like this is this is i'm like yep i'm like and then it was, it was, um, it was in West Hollywood for the all lives matter March. I had some, some folks and because people are sharing it with their friends and then they link it back to like the artists and then they'll end up saying, Oh, my friend shared it with me. Can I use this for a protest that I'm going to this weekend in West Hollywood? And I'm like, sure. And then I, and then I like realized that it was like the huge, like, oh, like 30,000 folks in, in West Hollywood. That was um, a, that was a huge March, the, the big BLM March recently. Yeah. Not all lives matter, but black lives matter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're not going to go through that distinction for everyone. I've been very clear about that with uh, social media posts and information, but Black Lives Matter. <laughs> There's my brain. All Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yes, all Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's a huge, I mean, and this is the thing is that it's like your symbol is obviously touching people um, you know, in a way that is expansive, just mm-hmm. like your joy is expansive, just like, you know, the work that you're creating and putting out there comes from an expansive heart centered place. So, um, I'm just so grateful to have had you on to talk about this more, to share more about your experience as a mom, um, and your own experience as well. And yeah, I'm just, thank you for the honor of, of your time today. Yeah. And thank you for just, you know, giving me the platform and of course that it will continue to just make room for other like black disabled folks to come in and and speak their truths and Mm. to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you are black and disabled, please, this is your open door. (laughs) Send me a message. Um, I'm always happy to have anyone on the show to talk about their experiences. So Jen, thank you so much for sharing yours today. And uh, we look forward to having you back on when you have some more information about that ADHD and as Knox continues to grow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. 
We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.